and how he's, uh, he's failed so many times. He's heard more no's than yes. If you believe we can change the narrative, if you believe we can change our communities, if you believe we can change the outcomes, then we can change the world. I'm Rob Richardson. Welcome to Disruption Now. Welcome to Disruption Now. I'm your host and moderator, Rob Richardson. With me is Yaya Barar, who is with uh, Zensi, the founder, um, coming from Africa. What country in Africa? Well, I'm in uh, Cote d'Ivoire, West Africa. Okay. Cote d'Ivoire, West Africa, and talking about his tele- uh, telemedicine and, and combination with blockchain technology. So some really innovative things. And uh, we're honored to have him on the show uh, to, to hear about the cutting edge things that he's doing. And and really kind of talk about the growth opportunities that we're seeing really in uh, Africa and across the world and how this is a new horizon for growth. So, Yaya, welcome to the show. Welcome to Disruption Now, man. Well, thanks for having me, Rob. It's a pleasure. No, you know, thanks for coming on. So I'm, I'm curious. So you're into, um, you, you, you're, you're starting a, a, a telemedicine kind of company to help match potential patients with doctors, if, I, if I'm correct. How did you get down this path of, of, uh, of, of, of just con- of getting involved in this, in this sector uh, in general? Like what made you, what sparked you just to get involved with this and solve this specific problem when I'm sure you're an entrepreneur that had many ideas? Why was this the idea that you had to go with? Yeah, so I used to live in the U.S. for you know, nearly 20 years and I just came to Africa five years ago. Um, and while I was in the U.S., it was in the year 2006, my mother passed away in Cameroon, Africa. And... And, you know, she was actually in a hospital uh, in a rural area and she had, you know, she had a heart attack. You know, she actually had a, a stroke, I would say, actually. Um, and so the doctor called me and said, uh, you know, there's really nothing we can do. And we need to take your mom to the next hospital where she might be able to get access to a specialist. Right. And it's in her way, on her way to that major hospital that she she passed. Right. Mm. Um, and. Um, so my foray into healthcare technology was in 2011. Uh, so I used to work for a company called MedOne Healthcare in, in the DC area. Uh, and that's where I got to really discover telemedicine. It dawned on me that, you know, had we had telemedicine, you know, in, in Cameroon when my mother was sick, uh, she might have been able to get access to a specialist without moving because I think the travel, the pressure of travel might have had also an impact on her passing. So if she had the, the you know a, a way to get connected to a specialist remotely, uh, maybe her life might have been saved, you know. And, and that's that's where I really realized that um, you know there are many other people in Africa that may need you know the technology to save their lives. And so I decided to come to Africa and and um, working with a, a U.S.-based medicine provider um, that wanted to expand their footprint in Africa. Um, that's what actually brought me here to the continent. And while you're on the ground, you, you realize that, you know, the, the, the healthcare crisis really is humongous. I actually have a personal experience with how, you know, hard it is to have access to a good doctor. Uh, I had a problem with my, my elbow. Um, you know, it's, it's, it was bursitis. It's like, a, you know, a little, uh, you know, you know, sort of a ball that actually, you know, just appears on your elbow. And I went to an emergency room and to see a doctor, right? Uh, so the doctor seemingly didn't really know what it was. And so he said, well, you know, we're gonna have to do surgery because, you know, that's typically what happens when, you know, and sometimes doctors in this part of the world 
you know, it's, it's, it's actually more of a commercial play for them because they want right. to maximize the, the gain for the hospital. So he just said, okay, we need to have- it, it's, not, it's not that different in the US. It's just a little more regulations, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what I noticed in his mind, in his, you know, in his uh, body language that he wasn't quite comfortable or what, he didn't quite know what he was. So, right. uh, so I called a friend in the US and I described the problem to him. And so he knew right instantly what, what I had. So he said, well, listen, you know, absolutely no surgery. Uh, just, just wait for a few days and just subside and you'll, you'll be fine. So that really kind of opened my, my eyes to the fact that, you know, uh, it's, it's really important to speak to the right doctors when you're sick. And many people actually here on the continent are suffering from, you know, misdiagnosis like that. Uh, and, and, and I thought that, well, and then I asked around and realized that, you know, there were many other victims. Right. That issue. And that's why I thought, about, you know, mission put together a solution where we connect patients here in Africa with doctors, who are the best doctors we can find, even within Africa or outside of Africa, to help those patients out. So that's yeah. actually what brought, brought us to where, here where we are. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, you, you, you really tell it well, when you talk about a founder that is connected and understands the problem that they're trying to solve, you've, you had it with your mother uh, and then you've had it with yourself personally. What's the, what's, what, what's your, what are your challenges here with making sure that people actually have the connection? Yes, you know, since you touch on infrastructure, you know, not human resources, but infrastructure, uh, it's a real problem. I think, you know, it's a problem that has been stated for, for years, uh, but the reality is that things are changing. The internet penetration varies, you know, from country to country. You know, yes. as you know, Africa, there are 54 countries and, you know, the penetration varies by country. So in Cote d'Ivoire, for example, where I am, uh, internet penetration is estimated at maybe 45, between 45 and 47 percent. Right. Uh, but you go, when you go out east in Kenya, it's nearly at 65 percent. So that's massive. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, even if it's not at 100 percent, you still have, you know, half of the population that are connected. Certainly, in major cities, you have better connections, uh, but in secondary cities, you know, that are not as large as these major cities, uh, internet connectivity is still pretty good. So you have right. at least, you know, 4G, 3G level, you know, connections, connectivities. Um, and I think it's well known now that, um, you know, mobile phone penetration, smartphone penetration in African countries is really skyrocketed. So, which means for the most part, connectivity is really not an issue anymore. Uh, but, you know, the reality is that, you know, things are really significantly improving uh, across, across the continent in terms of internet connectivity, for sure. So then how are you, like, what is, what is your process for going about connecting and going out and finding potential users? I mean, you, you've stated kind of where they are, like they're going to be in major cities. So how do you go about I guess, advertising or marketing in Africa to make sure that, or in the countries in Africa that you're targeting, uh, to make sure that you're connecting with the right customers? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, you know, our, so it's a mobile app, right? So people actually have to use a mobile app to sort of, you know, see what doctors are available, book an appointment with them and have video consultation, right? So, and that requires people to be able to use, uh, you know, apps. So, and, and that's really the problem. And most of these people are on Facebook, uh, they're on WhatsApp, they're on Instagram, they're on Twitter. So we use social media uh, significantly to, to, uh, to spread the word. And so we use local radio stations as well. Um, and so we have a, an offer for the general public, and we also have an offer for employers, 
and organizations like nonprofit organizations. So we also target those organizations to provide access to their employees or their members, right? Um, so um, yeah, so we do a mix of media, radio uh, communications, underground community events and things like that to be able to reach out to people. So uh, what does success look like? You're here, you know, five years in the future with, with Zen C. What does it, what do you hope is on the wall in terms of measurables that, that your company has established and you can, you can take back as that, that you see as significant as in, in, in meeting your milestones? So our projection in, in five years in terms of the vision we have for Zensi is to be an African virtual clinic, right? Uh, so the thinking is that, you know, we want to remove the borders and just make sure that if you're a patient in, let's say Ghana, uh, you're able to connect with a doctor in Nigeria or Kenya or South Africa for that matter, uh, who speaks, you know, English, right? Or your language. Uh, or even doctors in the U.S., why not, you know, or Canada. Uh, if you're a patient in, in, in Cote d'Ivoire, uh, you'd be able to connect with doctors in Cameroon, Senegal, you know, Mali, French-speaking countries, or France. So our, our idea is to sort of build, a, you know, this borderless, you know, service where, you know, you just an African patient and forget about the country you live in. If you're sick, you need to talk to a doctor. Uh, there's going to be a doctor somewhere around the world who is accessible. You can connect with them and have a consultation. Uh, so that's that's our vision for Cosentis. How do you work to make sure that you become a trusted source? Because when you talk about healthcare, you're really mm-hmm. talking about people uh, investing their trust in you. There's, there's, there's nothing uh, more important than your health and right. nothing more private or precious than your health. How does your company go out to make sure to tell people that you're, you're looking out for their interests? What do you do to make sure that they understand that you have that perspective? So, so first of all, you know, we communicate clearly a transparent, you know, in a transparent manner about how we protect their, their medical records. I think it's really important. You know, at the beginning, sometimes what people were saying, well, you know, that's something that actually applies to the Western world. Uh, yeah. But, you know, here in Africa, and even there are regulators that are more and more applying the, uh, the requirement of, of protecting patients' records. I think that's really key. Um, so, so the other thing also is that we wanna put patients at the center of, of what we do. Uh, so empowering them to choice, to choose the doctor that they wanna to talk to, they wanna work with. And, and, and based on previous experience with other patients, as if other patients who've seen a doctor will actually provide some reviews and ratings of, of their experience with the doctor. Uh, to sort of uh, put the next patients at ease in, in, in connecting with a, with a certain doctor. Um, and so you can actually see what other patients have said about the experience with the doctor before connecting with them. Um, and ultimately, though, the you know, relationship between patients and doctors is such that once you're comfortable with a doctor, you're likely to, to, stay with, to stay with the doctor, right? So we build that framework where um, a, a patient actually have a sort of a family doctor, even if they're not local, they can be anywhere, you know, across the world. Uh, but, you know, you have that relationship built between the patient and the doctor for, yeah. you know, for follow-ups and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I really think COVID helped with this. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, because it's, I, I was, I was uh, I, I've, had to, I've said this many times that COVID was a short-term disruptor, but it was more accurately described as an accelerator of trends. Like we were already, we're doing a virtual interview. You're in Africa, I'm here in the United States of America. 
right. but we're able to connect just as much. And so I do think this will help with that. Uh, have you found any challenges of just uh, of, of barrier challenges between uh, uh, the understanding of cultures between Africa and America, very different cultures? How do you go over, because there has to be something to appreciate the cultural differences and how to navigate through that. Like, how do you advise your American counterparts that you're working with? <clears throat> and then on the other side, how do you how do you talk and work through folks in Africa um, when you're working with with with, with Americans or just Europeans? Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, I think you made a great point about, about COVID and you know, obviously it's actually sort of made the world, small, the world much smaller. And people actually have gotten, you know, uh, accustomed to communicating with people across the, the world. That's perfectly you know, the case now. Uh, and still, you know, there's still some cultural differences that we, can, we need to take into account. Um, you know, for example, uh, here, uh, patients have been used to, I think it's been the case in the U.S. as well before COVID, right, where people, patients have been used to going to the hospital, they want to be touched by the doctor to feel that they've actually had a proper consultation, right? right? You, the U.S. has actually gone over that hump, right? So, and, you know, Africa's in its way there, there's still some kind of resistance or, you know, difficulty for people to really understand that it's really possible for uh, a, a doctor to consult with you remotely. Um, so there's that education process that actually is ongoing right now. Um, and, and also, um, you know, there's also this notion of uh, subscription. Say, you know, for example, you ask people to subscribe to the service. Uh, people are not likely to actually let you uh, tap into their, you know, credit card every month, you, you know, it's not in the culture. So, so which right. means that sometimes what you need to do is just make sure that you get them to renew their subscription every, every month. It is a lot more work, but you have to work with that, you know, yeah. and yeah, it, it's just culturally not accepted to do that. Um, and also um, the, you know, the reality of the market is that, you know, people here pay less for health services than the U.S., right? Um, and so, so U.S. doctors usually would come in higher premium for, the, for their consultations. So now, um, so the way to bridge that gap is to explain, uh, first of all, to the U.S., uh, you know, doctors that we work with that, all right, um, you know, locally, these are the rates that apply for consultations. Uh, so we're not going to ask you to, to actually, you know, abide by that, you know, those, those, those numbers, uh, but you need to actually do some, be a little bit more flexible in, in, in bringing your price down. And so, which means that sometimes, you know, we would ask doctors in the U.S. to add a, a, a level of, of, of uh, let's say, philanthropy, you know, pro bono yeah. <laughs> to, to the consultation. Um, and, you know, we've talked to many doctors of, uh, you know, the African diaspora, you know, doctors of African descent. As you know, there are many doctors in the U.S., you know, originally from, from Africa, Nigerians, Ghanaians, and so on. Uh, but those doctors, um, because of the fact that they've left the continent and there aren't enough doctors on the continent to take care of the patients, uh, there, there is an element of, of guilt in, in their minds that, you know, they should have been there to help the people. Uh, so for that reason, they're willing to, uh, you know, to, uh, to do something extra, you know, to, to right. do something, I wouldn't say pro bono, but actually reduce the price to meet uh, the, you know, the, 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 uh, the buying power of population in Africa. 
So these are some of the, the things that we need to do to establish that, that, that bridge between you know, U.S. doctors and patients in Africa. Just thinking about general investment in Africa overall, there's a lot of opportunity for growth there. Yeah. As, you, as we have a lot of, of a mostly American audience, what would you tell them just about the growth opportunities for general investment? It could be in healthcare or whatever you're seeing. Like, what, what do you see on the ground for potential opportunities for, for growth and investment and return on capital? Well, um, I think, you know, Africa, first of all, is a huge, huge continent. So, you know, at least 1.2 billion people, right? Uh, so that's a, that's a huge market. Um, and granted, it's not a monolithic, uh, you know, country. So you have 54 countries. Um, so, so which means that, you know, you're, you're, you're expected to, to, to be, uh, to do custom solutions, you know, as you go from country to country. Uh, however, uh, there, you know, there are some, you know, large markets like Nigeria, for example, I think there are many investment uh, funds that are going into Nigeria, into Kenya. Um, so there are some, you know, investment hubs uh, that are actually establishing themselves uh, as, as really conducive for American investors. Uh, you know, one, it could be because it's a large market. That's the case for for, for Nigeria, for example, uh, because you have at least 200 million people in the country. Uh, it could be in all cases, uh, you know, in, in Kenya, for example, where the investment environment is actually very beneficial for foreign investors to come in and, and establish themselves uh, or even fund local businesses. Uh, Rwanda is the same thing, South Africa also. So for many reasons, depending on the country, uh, there are always you know, opportunities to invest. Um, and in the French-speaking countries, for example, the interesting thing is that they all use the same currency. So there are 14 countries using the same currency. So if you could target one, you know, service for one country, chances are, you know, it would apply to all 14 countries. And wow. that's, that's a large market. Wow, know? so I didn't know, so 14 countries use the same currency? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that, wow. Yeah. That's interesting. So in, in, a, in a related conversation, let, let's talk a little bit about blockchain right. because you, you're, you're, you're about to, you said your, your business is, is going to integrate blockchain technology. Tell us about where you see the opportunities here with blockchain and healthcare. I think a, a lot of folks just probably wouldn't inherently see that, but I'd love to hear your perspective on you see where you see the opportunity for, for blockchain and healthcare. Yeah, so I mean, we're not looking at blockchain because because it's it's a trend because it's cool, you know. I think right, you know. I think one, one has to understand that, you know, the reason we're looking at blockchain is because, um, you know, the application of blockchain in healthcare is going to be really tremendous in in managing medical records of patients. Right, um, I think it's important to ensure that, you know, there's that element of trust that you mentioned earlier in terms of how the patient shares their medical records with the provider. Uh, yeah. When they go from provider to provider, uh, there has to be, you know, that comfort both on the patient and the provider side that, you know, and that trust that the data that I'm actually sharing is sharing is being shared with, with someone that I, I, I grant access to and, and, and so on. And also, you know, it's important to ensure that the records are portable, right? So when yeah. you go from patient to patient, uh, from provider to provider, that's a, I never thought about it that way. Yeah, go ahead. They'll finish. I mean, I can see the opportunities for blockchain 
making it portable but secure. So essentially, that's that's what it is. You know that uh, you, you can actually because well, one of the reasons why you know there there's malpractice is because sometimes doctors may not have, especially on a platform like ours, the doctor may not have you know the, the history, the medical history of the patient, right? So yeah, and you need to be able to have the framework for the patient to sort of carry their medical records or their medical history with them as they connect with the next doctor and uh, to yeah. make it available to them so that they can have access to that, that history and be better prepared to do the proper diagnosis. That's how we see the application of, of blockchain on our platform. Yeah, there's, there's this balance as you think about data being implemented, but also needing to be shared by, while also protecting privacy. Like Because if the more data we have, the more things we can prevent, right? Because the more, if we have data, we can build it into a system that can predict when they've seen this. Uh, you can do what I've seen is doppelganger predictive, which is somebody like has a similar profile that you've had and right. you can tell that person by enough data. So I can see a world, it just has to be a world where people begin to trust a little more, but that um, where we can have uh, things on the blockchain and it shares not the data about the person, but it maybe shares some data about a pattern of, 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 of illnesses and things that have happened and that we can learn from that and grow from that. Like I see an area, I just, just thought about this, where you can really combine artificial intelligence and the blockchain to really build a comprehensive type of system uh, to really, I think, provide more impact. Because in the future, then it can come up and generate, like, you know, it can really predict if, you know, it's just somebody that looks just like, that's just like Rob Richardson, uh, our doppelganger, uh, yeah. and you've had these conditions, we know that this works and we know these things generally do not work. Uh, could definitely change the world in terms of healthcare outcomes. I, I, I never really thought about it until you just brought it now, but I can see that. I really can. Yeah. And so, so you mentioned, you know, AI. Uh, we, we actually use AI currently, uh, although it's okay. actually provided by a third party for now. So the thinking behind the use of AI is just to kind of, uh, you know, guide patients to the proper doctor. So you can't, you come in and then you, you know, obviously you can actually, you, you know, sort of, uh, you know, checking your symptoms and we can actually evaluate the symptoms. I mean, through AI, evaluate your symptoms and, and algorithm, uh, algorithmically uh, sort of uh, determine what illnesses you might have and, and you know, sort of, uh, you know, steer you to the right doctors, right? Uh, but so what we want to do is actually go beyond that, where right. um, so using the results from the AI, you know, uh, engine to sort of provide some diagnosis support uh, or recommendations to the patient, to the doctor. So when you schedule an appointment with the doctor, so we'll actually share the, you know, that report with the doctor so they can actually see what recommendation the AI system actually makes um, to sort of help them either quickly diagnose the patient or maybe adjust their diagnosis and ensure that, well, you, you know, we get to some level of care that is acceptable. So there's a combination of AI and so, and how we want to sort of couple that with uh, blockchain uh, in, 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 in that sort of handoff, uh, that's really interesting for us to, to look into in the future. No, I think it's, I think it's a great idea. Um, I think the challenge will continue to be, how do we build trust? Really having that empathy to understand that folks are going to have that perspective and some are going to be resistant to technology because they feel like it's, uh, it's going to be some way now people can track them or it's going to be something that uh, is going to hurt them. I mean, I do think that's still a challenge within the U.S., uh, yeah. And I, I imagine that's a challenge in 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 uh, Africa. And I, I don't know if there's been any experiences you've had with that 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 that, that have helped you bridge the gap for your potential users. I'd be curious. Yeah. So uh, I know it's it's more of a challenge in the U.S. than it is in Africa. Let me explain okay. why. 
You know, okay. um, you know, it's it's not that people are not as educated here about you know the uh, the privacy of the data, uh, but it's just that people are more concerned about you know getting help from a doctor, yeah, uh, getting medical help. So, so that's that's lacking tremendously. So and people may be willing to actually expose their data to get the help they need. You know, uh, so think about someone who. You know, let's say, for example, here in Bolivar, there are, you know, 4 million sickle cell disease patients, right? Uh, but there are only 12 specialists. So what that means is that if you're a sickle cell, you know, patient in Cote d'Ivoire, chances are you're going to have to wait for weeks, you know, to be able to talk to a specialist, right? Now, if you're given a chance to talk to one today, and, um, you know, even if you're likely to, uh, to, to lose your, your, your privacy, uh, you, know, the, you know, the bottom line is you want to be alive. You want to you be healthy. You want to be fine. So you, you're going to prioritize that over protecting your, your you know, your, your, your medical records. I'm not saying that's, that's not important, but I think in terms of urgency, people are more, more interested in getting medical help as much as, as quickly as possible. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, so we've seen people on our Facebook page come and actually expose their medical situation openly, <laughs> you know, and, and that's because they are in dire need of medical support. Um, it's but something you probably wouldn't see in the, in the U.S. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Makes sense. All right, I got a couple of uh, rapid fire questions to to, okay. to, to, to conclude us here. Uh, what's an important truth or conviction you have that a lot of people may not agree with you on? Uh, people still think that they are, you know, these are really uh, impossible tasks that we're attempting to do. So being able to get, you know, um, you know, patients in Africa to connect with doctors, you know, anywhere they want, uh, is it legal? Is it feasible. I mean, there are so many hurdles um, and, you know, it's really not worth it. Uh, but I think most people that we talk to, many people that we talk to just think it's impossible. And that is actually really, really hard. Um, but we just disagree with that. You know, I think, you know, we, we just have to, uh, to fix it um, and, 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 uh, and make it possible. I think with technology, it's possible. Uh, and with the proper perseverance and talking to the right people, uh, we can get things to change, you know, gradually until, you know, the, you know, uh, the general public actually sees it as, as a normal thing. So yeah. that's, that's what I would say. All right. Uh, you have a committee of three living or dead advising you on business or life. Who are the three people and why? I have... You know, in mind, someone like Jack Ma from Alibaba, you know, I've actually been following what he's been saying about, you know, entrepreneurship and how he's, uh, he's failed so many times. He's heard more no's than yes. Right. And it's part yeah. of the process. <laughs> it's part of the process. I think, you know, he's definitely a, you know, an inspiration. Um, so, and... You know, I, I think that I'm certainly inspired by someone like, uh, uh, you know, Nelson Mandela, you know, uh, who I think that is not cliche, but I think most, most people actually sort of listen to someone like that. 
because of what he's gone through and yes. how he actually sacrificed himself uh, for the betterment of, of, uh, of his people, of, of, of people in general. Uh, and, and also, you know, he, after redemption, he didn't, you know, have any, uh, uh, any, any hard feelings against uh, his oppressors, you know, things like that. Uh, I, I think it's, uh, it's definitely an example to follow as well. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, so I think, you know, so the third one, <laughs> If you don't have the third one, you, you can you, you can stay at two. That's fine. That's okay, fine. That's, that's yeah, that's I'll, I'll take the pressure off you. Let's, uh, you know, final question here. You have a uh, a saying or a Google billboard that is your saying in life. What does that say and why? Feel better. Okay. Feel better, uh, which is actually sort of related to our name, Zen, you know, Zen say. And yep. Because, yeah, so, you know, we want to get people to feel better. We want to get people to, you know, live a healthier lifestyle um, and, and uh, be taken care of when they're sick. So, so yeah, so in general, we want people to feel better. That's All right, feel okay. better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it was great having you on, man. I really enjoyed the conversation. All right, me too. Thanks so much for having me, Rob. It's Thank better. you.